sugar smiles every the king of the cube. Got a temper in the style of a bum. Got his friends in his pocket all safe behind balls. All the local boys know what he's done. He turns it on. He turns it on. He turns it on. Hello, 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 hello. With me in the studio, I have special guest Debbie Smith, guitarist, purveyor of feedback, possessor of great hair, and the creator of beautiful noise with the likes of Curve, Echo Belly, Snow Pony, the London Dirt Hole Company, The Nuns, and Blindness, who are going to be the focus on next week's Dookie Radio Show. Hello, Debbie. How are you doing? We're going to be exploring Debbie's autobiographical playlist featuring half a dozen tunes that have been pivotal in her life. Rather than being influencers, these are tunes that have been the soundtrack to our guest's life and they provide a unique insight into what has made Debbie, well, Debbie. All of London, even the handbags, are swinging to the sides of the Dookie Radio Show. The Dookie Radio Show does not broadcast on a frequency that exists. However, it's available for download every Monday if you're up for it. And oh, heads up, you are. I felt something move, and I think it was in the trouser department. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And Debbie, our first exchange was incredibly memorable. I was on stage and about to have a sound check. You came up to the front of the stage while I was up there and introduced yourself to me. You looked at my pedal board, which to non-musos are those special little boxes that go between guitars and amps to change the tone of your instrument. One of my pedals caught your eye. It's called a rusty box. Ooh, a rusty box, you said. I like the sounds of that. That's a good way to meet somebody. It is. And I do like the sound of that. And I did like the actual sound of that rusty box. So it's one of those things that works on two different levels. Yeah, indeed. Your autobiographical playlist. The first song, Susie and the Banshees' Mirage. I understand this is the first song you learned to play on guitar. How old were you at the time? I was between the ages of 14 and 15 um, because I, I, I actually... My dad used to buy me guitars for my birthday and Christmas for years uh, and I never took it seriously. I just ended up um, smashing them up, uh, playing bows and arrows with them and tying them to trees and burning them and stuff like that um, until I was 14 and I thought you know what, I actually want to learn the guitar. So I went out, I got a £20 postal order and I went to Argos and I've got a, a, a Spanish guitar and a play-in-a-day uh, chord book and sequestered myself in my bedroom 
for about six, seven months and just learnt songs that I liked. And uh, the first song that I managed to play all the way through was Mirage by Susie and the Banshees. So, yeah, pretty pivotal, that song for me. Where were you living at this time? Where was home as a 14-year-old? Near Mum's house. In, in Bounds Green, uh, North London. Um, yeah, it was a pretty normal sort of working class, multicultural area. Um, and I had a lot of friends who were into the same sort of music as me, but they didn't necessarily live very near me. So I just uh, sort of hung out by myself being all alienated and shit in my bedroom, you know. Like you do when you're a teenager. You were living in Bounds Green. Susie and the Banshees were from Bromley. Yeah. Did that inspire you at all? The idea that you know you can come from the suburbs, the outskirts of London, and make things happen that, that's really, really exciting musically. Well, yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, what was more inspiring for me at the time was realising that uh, Crass's recording studio, Southern, was literally around the corner from my house on Middleton Road, literally around the damn corner. It's like Crass recorded, like, 500 yards from my house. So Band from the Roxy was recorded just down the road from you? Yeah. From your home? Yeah. Band from the Roxy, OK! That was pretty inspiring. So I thought, you know, if if... If that can happen in in two blocks, then I can do something as well. So How did you go from the play a song in a day, acoustically focused way of learning to picking up the lush voicings of Susie and the Banshees? Did you work that out by ear or did somebody show you? Oh, no. Well, what it was, um, was I just learnt uh, an E chord and an A chord and I just slid my fingers up. I didn't know about bar chords. I just, because as far as I was concerned, this was an A chord that you just moved up and down. And it was. And that's that's how I learned to play. I no, I, no one's ever taught me to play the guitar. And I have horrendous bad habits. Horrendous bad habits. I play an A wrong. I play it like that with my last three fingers. You're supposed to play it with your first three fingers, but I can't do that. There are no rules. Yeah, well, you know. Rules are for people that need to follow them. Exactly. Break but, them, be proud. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not very technical. I don't really know what chords or notes I'm actually playing at any given time. I just know what sounds good. Your ears tell the truth. Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> Your next choice is quite inspired and a brilliant song. Poison Girl's Old Tart Song. Ah, champion, champion tune that is. Uh, how many punk songs have tuba on them? Not many. Not many. I can't even think of a single other one. Exactly. And that's why it's perfect. Yeah, and um, it's just it it's it's fun. But if you the, well, you can't help but listen to the words. But if you listen to it, it's it's. Uh, it really, really spoke to me at the time. If I had my time again, I'd, I'd like to come back as a man. If I had my time again, I'd like to come back as a man. Uh, you know, I, I was having sexuality things, you know. I was young and I was like, I like girls. Does that mean I want to be a boy? Ah, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and also, I, I don't want to be like my mother, hang behind, fall behind, wait on all the others. You know, it's, it's, it's feminism and sexuality all together. 
um, which was tremendously exciting for a 14, 15 year old girl. And tuba. And and well, tuba also tremendously exciting. Did the fact that intense issues and very weighty issues being delivered in a fun way, did that resonate with you? Did it make your own, I don't want to say struggles, but you mentioned that you were having issues, for want of a, of a better word. Did it make that process easier, or at least? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, that's what you do with music when you're a teenager. You take the music and it, it, it speaks to you and you relate to it. Um, so that's what I did. And, and also when I found out that Vice Versa, the singer, uh, only started singing in the band when she was 40. I used to be a tart. It was just like, wow, that is so fucking cool. Um, you know, it was just, it was just a completely, totally mind-blowing package. Again, um, I, I mentioned about Southern Studios. Uh, Poison Girls would have recorded there as well. I didn't know about them at the time, but that blew my mind is that the Poison Girls had been around the corner from my house recording stuff. It's like, fucking hell. Um, but yeah, going to their gigs was amazing, absolutely amazing. Me and my best friend at the time, Josh, uh, we would just go to every Poison Girls gig we could um, and uh, just get really pissed and throw ourselves about at the front and the Poison Girls were really nice to us. They, you know, would say hello and make sure we were all right because we were pretty young at the time. Um, but yeah, the Poison Girls were kind of... Poison Girls and Crass, I guess, were kind of my musical political awakening because um, they talked about issues of class, race, sexism, um, you know, um, women being uh, tranquilised by doctors, um, you know, they would talk about stuff like uh, Teddy Kennedy um, getting off scot-free for drowning his secretary oh, off Chappaquiddick Bridge. Word. Yeah, mm. that sort of thing, which you didn't hear in um, early 80s pop music at all. So uh, forever thankful for the Poison Girls for doing that. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, an archetype punk band for not following the norm, not looking the norm. Absolutely. Not singing about the norm and having tuba. Yeah, and uh, yeah, not sounding like a punk band. Mm. Yeah. What that... could be more punk? Exactly, exactly. The next song on your autobiographical playlist, Small Faces, Song of a Baker. Oh, yeah. An yeah. amazing drum sound, an amazing mix where you've got drums coming out of one channel, guitars out of the other. And it just sounds like fun in the studio. And yeah. the track yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a mighty track. And yeah, it's, it's got that typical late 60s, oh my God, we've got eight tracks to play with. And, and we stereo. have stereo. And yeah, everything's all over the place. Um, but it, it's, it just sounds absolutely mighty. The bass is right up there and just... Mm, it's I, I love that song so much. It might actually be my favourite song of all time. There's wheat in the field and water in the stream. And there's one part that you like in particular, which we're going to have a, a snippet of, <laughs> where just at the end of the drum fill, there's an almighty... Yeah. That's it's, just, not, it's not almighty. It's, it's really in the background. Someone's yeah. just going, yeah. But it's, it's just like, you know, so someone is enjoying themselves playing this song so much, they just go, yeah. It's and al- they kept it in. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's almighty because it, it was left in there. You know, it's, it's celebrating people being in a room making music. 
not to a click track, not to yeah. a conveyor belt type of sound. And there's something just organic and beautiful about it. Yeah, exactly. Tune. They they weren't tracking, you know, they were in there live playing together and, and the vibe was so good. So Just like yeah, and you reckon one of your all-time fave songs, if not the? Yeah, definitely. Um, this is a song that I wish to be played when I die. I don't care what you do, bury me, put me in a bottle and shove me out to sea, or burn me, feed me to the vultures. I don't care. Just play this song while you're doing it. Thank you. You also mentioned that it reminds you of working in Notting Hill at a very iconic place. Oh, yeah. I worked at Music and Video Exchange um, for about six years, uh, 2000 to 2006. Um, And although I was aware of the small faces, uh, because I have a very vague remembrance of running around in primary school in the uh, playground singing Reenie the Docker's Delight, which is a rather ribald song from the same album as this. Um, I wasn't really a massive fan, but at that point I started listening to them a lot and I was absolutely obsessed and I'd play the album that this came off, um, Ogden's Nutgone Flake, just all the time, all the time. Um, and yeah, it reminds me of that pissing off all the other guys who worked in the shops because they are oh, not the fucking small faces again yes the small faces if, again if they said that they shouldn't have been working in a in music retail at well, all bastards yeah no i don't like the sound of these people at it all it takes all sorts cunts but uh, yeah also it's you know it's uh, the song was written by ronnie lane who is my favorite small face the bass player and he sung it and it's uh, actually he was getting into uh, sufi mysticism and that's what the the lyric is i think it it might be khalil gibran's the prophet but it's it's a distillation of a a sufi text anyway goodness so not just about bread no 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 it well it is about bread but it's also about love and life love life and bread yes You just mentioned the Sufi influences in the Small Faces song of a baker. Now, your next track on your autobiographical playlist also has some Eastern tinges, and that's Danielle Dack's Fizzing Human Bomb, which I understand is a track which holds a very special place in your heart. Oh, yes. And it reminds you of a very special venue in King's Cross. That's right, yeah. When I was a little baby dyke... Uh, back in 85, 86, 87, I used to go to um, a, a gay pub called The Bell in King's Cross. It's, it, don't look for it now because it's gone. Well, actually, it's not gone. It's called The Big Chill House. Um, but it was pretty much the only gay alternative mixed club in the whole of London. And you'd think London being the capital city of the country, that there'd be choices you could go to. But there, there wasn't, not in the 80s. The gay scene was extremely segregated and um, lesbian clubs were, music-wise, you know, um, not very good. But um, the, Was the, it all just Janice Ian and... That kind of thing. I mean, no, they, they would play, they'd play um, Top 40 stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the, the gay... Boys' places played high energy, which was mm. a new kind of music, but it was, you know, uh, you know. Um, but I mean, the Bell would play that, but they'd also play Daniel Dax or Susan the Banshees or New Order or Echo and the Bunnymen and all that sort of 
Grace Jones, alternative stuff. And it was and and it was mixed. Men and women would go there, and you know, it was it was re- it was really a, a, a one of a kind place. It was uh, really an arbiter of its time. It was amazing. The Sleaze Sisters were the DJs that played at the nights that I went. Um, uh, hello, Trill. Hello, Pom. If you're ever listening, I love you guys. Um, but um, I loved that place so much. I actually moved in with the bar staff in a squat around the corner so I could get in every night. That's free. dedication. Yep, absolutely. That's real dedication. Yeah, uh, but um, that that song was a massive tune. massive tune um i would go absolutely mental if that song was played i would i mean i I would dance pretty much all night anyway but i would dance extra especially massively hard to that song it was just um it like you say the 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 eastern tinges to it um were just you didn't really hear that you know, um, in the 80s, not really, unless you were listening to the Paisley Underground sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and uh, the fact that it was almost all done single-handedly by a woman who lived on the Cold Harbour Estate in Brixton was just fucking mind-blowing. I mean, it wasn't all done, but her first two albums, she pretty much did it all. But by this time, she used a couple of collaborators. Um but it was just, it was mind-blowing. It was just amazing. And it was just the energy that went through the bell when that song played was just, I can feel, I can feel it now. I can feel it now. It was just this welling up of just excitement and positivity. And I just want to fucking go mental now. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> The next track I know that you have a, a very emotional connection with, Cat Stevens' "Lady Darbonville." Yeah, yeah, it uh, it does stir up uh, very quickly and very viscerally uh, emotions uh, because it it reminds me of my dad who uh, who uh, passed on in nineteen ninety nine. This song. I have very, very vague remembrances of singing it to him when I was really little. Uh, I think it came out in, I don't know, 71, 72 or something like that. So I was very young, like three or four or five, maybe. Um, I don't know, maybe six, I don't know, but young. My lady Um... And my dad used to sing, uh, say, sing Lady Dappendee because that's how I pr- I pronounced it, Dappendee, um, which is what it sounds like when he first sings it. My lady why does it grieve me so? As a matter of fact, um, and it was it was it was uh, one of the first things that I know bonded me and my dad together which was just a a love of music he loved all sorts of music he liked Jim Reeves he liked Cat Stevens he liked Led Zeppelin Uh, apparently I used to call them Led Zeppelin 
recording to my dad. Um, you know, he liked all sorts of music. He would tape the uh, the top 40 for me every Sunday. Um, and apparently I would just uh, get up on, on the table when all his mates were around for their card games and sing the top 30. I don't really remember it, but apparently that's what I did. But uh, yeah, basically my dad um, is the person who instilled a... Uh, not just a love but sort of an obsession with music an obsession and respect for music um so you know between Susie and the Banshees and my dad that's why I am who I am and what 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 why I do what I do um also the uh the the title uh, Lady Dabanville which I, in my childish way, um, pronounce as Lady Dapendi, is actually uh, why I chose my DJ name, which is uh, Dapper D. Partly because I do wear dapper stuff. You are very, very dapper. Thank you. Uh, and my name does begin with a D. So, you know, as far as people know, generally, it's just because I wear dapper clothes and my name begins with D. But it's not. It's actually because of this song, because it reminds me of my dad. That is why... That's my, that's 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 why I chose that name. So there you go. A pivotal tune. Really, I'm getting a bit emotional now. Actually. Uh, this next tune is uh, by a band called Os Mutantes, uh, and the song is called Panis et Sequences. understand that a chance conversation about this song on Facebook of all places some five years or so ago led you getting together with the love of your life yes that's right tell me more well um, basically uh, my girlfriend of now um, we became Facebook friends fairly early in 2010 which was really nice because I hadn't heard from her for years and years and years and years. We'd known each other when we were teenagers, basically, when we were squatting in and around the Brixton area. Um, and then we'd both moved on and done different things. And uh, I had often from time to time thought, oh, what's happened to her? Um, but, you know, I, read, I had no idea what could have happened to her because social media only exploded in the late 90s um, and I was very slow to get onto that bandwagon but um, she befriended me and I was like ooh um, and of course you know you do the, the Facebook digging and you look and at profile and like, oh she's with someone all that sort of stuff alright okay we can be friends we can be friends it's good that we're friends we can make it work <laughs> but I, you know I was just like okay she's got in contact and, and we can be friends and that's cool um and then a little while later, she posted uh, this song, a uh, video for this song. And uh, just, you know, just, I really like this. And, and, and I uh, put in the comments uh, the... Um the actual lyrics to uh, the bridge bit 
which is uh, in Brazilian. I obviously I just cut and pasted it from uh, something on Google, but it was essas pessoas da sala nascente se ocupada de nascer e more, which means the people in the breakfast room are occupied with eating and dying. Yeah. Um, as well, you do, as yeah, one yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, I obviously I was trying to impress her and it worked. <laughs> um, and uh, from from there, we private messaged each other and um, she came up to London to visit and yeah, things happened and, and, and now we're living together and uh, yeah, it's it's all it's all amazing. It's all amazing. And uh, yeah, so... Thank you, Os Mutantes. You're brilliant. I love you. I actually went to see them in, uh, uh, I don't know when it was, 2011, I think, maybe? I don't know. It was in the 2000s, anyway. They played in uh, the Barbican. They played a couple of gigs. Not with uh, Rita Lee, though, unfortunately. But um, I actually saw Os Mutantes play live, and it was just, like, fucking mind-blowing. Um, so, yes, Os Mutantes um, helped me get together with the woman that I hope will someday be my wife. So there you go. Facebook. It leads to real love. Yeah. And a smattering of Portuguese. <laughs> and a little bit of stalking. And just a tiny amount of stalking. <laughs> tiny bit of stalking. But she she stalked me too, so... Yeah. All right. Mm. Stalking. It's the new chatting up. <laughs> <laughs> Moving away from the autobiographical playlist, but keeping it about your life, Debbie, we're going to discuss an era, a genre, a period that you consider to be the best and the worst of times. Mm. Britpop. Yeah, it was... uh... Obviously, when you were in Echo Belly, you were right in the, the heart of it both from a competitive point of view, but also people that you were socialising with, everywhere that you were going, mm. the musicians that you were touring with were part of that movement. Yeah. It was it was um, heady. And that's, that's why it has such a... Britpop is quite a dichotomy in my head because I had an amazing time in that I was paid lots of money to go all over the world and people loved what I did and I was given free alcohol and drugs and could go to any gig that I wanted and all that sort of stuff. But on the 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 flip side of that of course was, you know, the the um the drug dependency, the cocaine psychosis, uh the realization that everything is really quite false. Um, everyone is in competition with each other. You'd be nice to each other to your faces, but as soon as you turn your back, you'd be stabbing each other. Um, you know, and and that the you know, 
the the record companies weren't there for you they were literally it it was it was like it was 1950 and they thought oh teenagers let's just make a buck out of that it was exactly the exactly the same so oh this is the trend so we'll pour a bit of money in here make sure they make us some money and then fuck off and that's exactly what happened um and i was in my 20s at the time and i'd had a little bit of uh success with curve uh but curve quite rightly split up for the first time um at the height of you know their artistic achievement i mean the the cuckoo album was really 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 good and you know there there were very valid reasons for curve to split up at that time and that was respected by everybody and that happened and then fucking garbage came in and nicked everything that we did and got massive so there was that but um but uh curve and echo buddy shared a publicist uh which was savage and best who in in parkway in camden who eventually ended up doing press for any london uh Britpop, new wave of new wave type band that was actually worth anything or at least worth anything in column inches um so it that's that was the the segue that i had into them um and it was i was only supposed to be in echo belly for one tour but after the tour they were like oh, do you want to come and record this album with us i'm like okay so i did And then, you know, a few years later, it all came to pieces. But, you know, it was... uh, That's what happens when you're in the eye of the storm and you're very young and uh, still you still have this idealistic thing of what being in a band is about and what you want to do. And when it doesn't match up, you just... Well, what I did was just medicate, basically. Completely self-medicate. And... um, so that's that's what happened basically it was the 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 medication and the adulation uh ended up in just just basic fucked upness but you know whilst it was good it was great how are things with the echo belly members now obviously there's a reunion happening were you offered the gig no no i wasn't but um I, I'm not surprised because, you know, they're trying to do something. OK, so they are uh, regrouping, but they're not regrouping as uh, the original members of Echo Belly. It's it's Sonia and Glenn who were always the creative engine of the group. And to tell the absolute truth, Echo Belly is, is Sonia and Glenn and your granny on bongos, you know, um, to paraphrase Marky e. Smith. Um, I was just a cog in the wheel. Uh, So, you know, I wasn't offered to play in the band, but um, I wouldn't have expected to either, you know. I I may well go and have a look and see what they're about now, you know. But um, basically, uh, their first two albums were reissued by uh, a label, which I cannot for the life of me at this moment remember, but uh, just before Christmas last year, um, Sonia and Glenn actually phoned me up and told me about this and said, 
they'd send me a, a copy of the albums, which was very nice of them. And I actually had a couple of like like hour or two hour long conversations with them. And we really actually talked it out, you know, all the stuff that had happened and basically came to the conclusion that we were all very young and didn't know what we were doing and were <laughs> kind of uh, misguided by our ideals and what people were telling us to do and what was happening. And we were all very torn and we, were, we weren't all on the same page, which is absolutely fine. Um, but it was, it was nice to get that sorted out finally after almost 20 years. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm perfectly happy that um Sondra and Glenn are, are doing it's their group they're doing their thing and I'm I'm not in the least offended or slighted that I haven't been asked to play because why should I it's their group do you know what I mean um yeah that's it's good it's fine in many ways they've got to a stage in their creative lives in which it's time for them to feel comfortable to celebrate their past. Yeah. You seem very much focused on what you're doing now and in the future. So, I mean, in a way, what they're doing is is looking backwards and you as a musician, and you're incredibly busy. You're um, playing in, in so many different bands and, and passionate about playing that, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that you know, there's no bad blood about not being involved with Reunion. Yeah, no, there's there's no bad blood at all. Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to dwell upon the past. I, I did for a long time and it made me very bitter and it made me into a person I didn't really want to be. So eventually I had to learn to let go of that. Um, and I, I did it with Curve as well when I was in Echo Belly. For, you know, I was very, very young. I was 21 when I joined Curve and I was 28 when I left Echo Belly so it's you know I was very young and didn't know my way about uh, the world of records and uh, all that sort of stuff you know the music business Um, and I did get burned but I've learned a lot of stuff since and I know what not to do so it was all a learning experience and I can apply that to anything I do in the future which is good. And now I, I, I just make music because I want to. I, I have no real um, burning desire to be on top of the pops, even though it doesn't exist, but, you know, whatever. the As a construct, it, yeah. it exists and always will. Yeah, but I was on top of the pops twice. Thank you. Um, <laughs> As a construct, you were a part of its <laughs> previous existence. But, yeah, I, I, I am not... Uh, driven by money or fame or any of this kudos. I am a little bit, obviously, yes, a little bit. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it because you, you don't you, you don't get on stage with an instrument in front of a lot of people without some kind of ego. You don't. Um, but I now know enough of the business, which has fucking atrophied since the 90s, that I don't want to be part of that machinery anymore. Um, So being in blindness uh, suits me well because we do what we want to do and we record what we want to do and uh, we approach people and say, would you like to put this out? And they say, yeah. 
and you know that's it we we put stuff out on our terms rather than being dictated to by a label or whatever and my other bands um which are even more outre than uh, blindness um just you know we have our little niches and we we do what we do and we we would stop doing what we did if we didn't want to do it anymore which i think is the basic thing you know if you if you enjoy something do it if you don't enjoy it stop there's no big deal about it you know with every band i've seen you perform with most recently with blindness it's clearly you fucking love it and there's some things you you either exude that or you don't yeah and it's a good life yeah it is it's a good life it's a fucking tiring life being in four bands i'll tell you that Four bands and a job and a club. Fucking knackered I am. But I wouldn't do I it feeling. if I didn't love it, you know. Um, and each one of the bands has a different part of my heart, you know. If I absolutely had to choose, I would say Blindness would be my main band because I have more of an artistic input and democratic control. If I was to go through all the bands, I could say that with all of them, I mean, I wouldn't be in any of the bands if I didn't have some sort of artistic input and some sort of democratic say. And all of them are like that. But um, Blindness is the one that produces new music, which is a good thing, I think. The other bands sort of hark more to the sixties and garage punk. I'm not not that they don't produce new music, but it's 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 just different. Sorry, all the other bands. Didn't mean to diss you. That said, you can't wear a priest outfit with each band that you play in. So that's obviously with. Oh, but I do. Oh, do you really? Oh, no, no. Oh. I I I wear pretty much what I'm wearing now with slight colour changes with all the bands. I tend to wear black all the time, most of the time, just because, you know, it's easy. Um, and, uh, the, I mean, with the nuns, you wear black because nuns, priests, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, London Dirt Hole Company, I, I tend to just wear whatever I am rock up with. But that's like this, you know. You are dapper. It was mentioned earlier. I'm saying it again. Yeah, well, you know, you got you got to look good. You got to look good, but um, yeah, it's just uh, demarcation. You know, I, I'm not very good at demarcation. I just rock up and I am Debbie Smith, and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, fuck you. Finally, guitar geekery. Are you willing to enter the arena of guitar geekery? Of course. You are sporting a very unique custom-made instrument, which I have done some research on. Mm -hmm. You dropped a name. 
I made note of it. There's a thing called Google. <laughs> I checked shit out. <laughs> that guitar that you were playing with blindness in July, you know, from a distance I thought, oh, it's a, it's a jazz master that's been tweaked about a bit. And then I looked a bit more closely. It's like, no. But then I asked you some questions. So Ayers Guitars. Yes. A company out of Arizona. Yes, Phoenix, Arizona, although I believe he has recently relocated. Yes. And they do custom handmade instruments. The one that you were playing, you know, done to your exact spec. Yeah. And he, you know, he favours the jazz master style certainly in all the guitars that uh, are created under the kind of Ayers name there's always a little bit little bit of the jazz master there maybe a little bit of a Jaguar and yours is quite special tell us about the gestation how long did it take how did you find them oh that's another Facebook thing actually oh yeah Facebook um, it gives you love and great guitars yeah it does uh, uh, well basically I was introduced to David Ayers, who's the uh, the luthier and the head of Ayers Guitars Company, by a Facebook friend called Perry Pelaniero. Hey, Perry. Yo, Perry. Yeah, Perry. He's a New York guy. He's lovely. He lives in Chicago now. Um, but he's he's been in so many good bands, so many good bands. Uh, he's in Kill It Again now, which are just like fucking mental metal. And he was in uh, um, uh, A Star with his his uh, his partner Kim, and before that, Bliss City East and Morpheme, which was uh, a partnership with uh, Dean from Curve. And actually, he did some stuff for Space Echo as well. But I mean, basically, the man has form. The man is good. Um, but uh, he knew. Uh, David and uh, was sort of the go-between. David wanted to make guitars for people that he respected as guitar players, uh, as as a sort of uh, advert for his his gear, which is absolutely fair enough. And uh, he put me in contact with him, probably I don't know a year and a half ago or so, eighteen months or so, and we had a Facebook. A conversation that lasted six seven months just going over exactly what I wanted with the guitar and me I've never had anyone ask to make anything specifically for me ever of any kind at all in my life so I was just like oh, I like a dress master could you do something like a dress master and he did um I mean I I, I now regret that I didn't go a bit more mental and ask for more specific things but uh, i am still extremely pleased with the smith because that's what it's called it's called the, the smith. smith yeah um i mean there is only one in the world and i've got it and you haven't uh, <laughs> <laughs> even if you want it you can look at it yeah but you can't have it um but uh yeah uh, you know, we talked about the scale of the guitar. I wanted something of a small scale because I'd been using uh, a, a child scale Mustang for the last five or six years, and I, I was used to playing a small scale guitar. So I wanted something that was small, but I also wanted something that was Jazzmaster shaped with Jazzmaster sound, but also with the capability of going into a bit more of a full sound. So I've got switchable uh, pups. Um, JM, oh god, I can't remember the actual serial name, but they they are fucking amazing pickups. Um, 
and uh, yeah, a, 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 a trem with a, a mastery bridge, which is just, uh, it's just like, oh, it's just liquid goodness. That bridge is like, mm. If you have a jazz master and you don't have one of those bridges, get, get one, one now. Get one, yeah. It makes, I mean, makes the thing usable yeah, and it stable. Does. Exactly, it's stable. Yeah, because, I mean, a, 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 jazz, a jazzy trem... It, it, original ones you know they're, they're old so they put the guitar out of tune but this one it just it stays right there it's fucking amazing and uh thank you david i love you for that and where's where's my where, where's where's my uh scratch guard my uh perloid scratch guard i hey, asked that on. a while ago yeah where is it yeah but um no it's it's it was amazing um just to have a guitar that is worth seriously it's a couple of thousand pounds worth of guitar and he just made it free for me and I'm I I feel incredibly um for want of a better word and I hate to say it but blessed that I have friends who would uh do that sort of thing for me so thank you they're blessed to have you sporting the guitar so they should be thanking you well there is that yeah Come on, they, they should have given you some money on top of that, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> free, free isn't enough. No, um, the guitar was free. I did have to pay 400 quid in uh, excise taxes to get it in. But it's like, fuck it. Yeah, they should have covered that, bastards. Nah, 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 no, 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 no. No, it's incredibly... Clearly, those instruments are made with love. And Absolutely. their respect for you, testament to that, is the fact that they've created a beautiful instrument. It looks great, sounds even better. And uh, you get one hell of an amazing noise out of it. Absolutely, and he, he's he's only made a handful of custom guitars, and they do take a while. As I said, mine took probably about almost a year from our first talking about it to actually me getting it. But he's made one for Adam Franklin out of Swerve Driver. He's made one for Gary Ars. Uh, I think it's Ars. It might be Arce. It's spelled A R C E. Mm. I'm sorry, Gary, if I've mispronounced your name. Gary um, A. Yeah, Gary. Um, Yo, Mr. A. Yeah, uh, which is, it's amazing. It's called the Rocktopus. <laughs> I prefer Smith. Rocktopus is better than No, no, it? Smith. Uh, no? Honestly, yeah? honestly, Smith. It's the Smith. It's, the guitar does all of the talking. You don't need to have a big name for it. It's a big yeah, sound. That's that's an Englishman talking, though, isn't it? True, I'm just a person who enjoys understated beauty. And, the octopus uh, dude. <laughs> Get eight fucking arms. But yeah, uh, one day I hope to have enough money to make uh, ask David to make me another guitar because I have ideas. I have ideas. You've got ideas? Yeah. Right, so something to look out for in the future. Can I have one of yours, by the way? That one. Yeah, I'd go like on. that one. Yeah, um, Thank Debbie you. is pointing to... A Gordon Smith double cutaway electric 12 string. Yes. Which is, creates an almighty noise. It looks beautiful. It's, it's, it's very nice. And I do need a 12 string. Everyone needs a 12 string. Yeah. Particularly one in Battleship Grey with P90s. Yeah. Debbie, thank you very much for joining me here on the Dukey Radio Show. Ah, that's quite all right, mate. To our Facebook page Facebook 
easy to find It will not take an age Facebook www.facebook.com Forward slash The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The thin white Dukey is right Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash the Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show The Dukey Radio Show Well, that's your lot. Debbie Smith is a really captivating character and, for whatever it's worth, our banter carried on into the wee hours at the local pub after our interview is done. She spins a great yarn, plays a mean guitar and is decidedly witty. Even my dog Molly the Sprolly loves her. In fact, so strong is her presence that Debbie will actually be appearing once again on the Dukey Radio Show next week when the focus is on her band Blindness. We'll also be welcoming into the studio her partner in crime, lead singer and co-six-string basher Beth. You've been listening to our interview with Debbie Smith. My name is Dukey and I've been your host. May the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and uh, <clears throat> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. You can pay me full vow for the love we've shown. It's just a little too late. It's never enough to swallow that Pepto-Bismol. Now I'm sick, always will 